Welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. I wanted to do a show on surprises and their staying power before the season ended, both the good ones and the bad ones. This week seemed like a good week to do it, given that we're probably going to talk postseason-related topics the rest of the way. So, I've brought in a writer of similar sensibilities, Tyler Kepner, the senior baseball writer for the New York Times. What's up, sir? Thanks for joining us. How are you? Good. All right. So, let's just go back and forth here. And we'll try and go through four or five surprises each and just uh, have a conversation about things that in a, I guess, a 45-ish game span have surprised us a little bit. It's not a draft, just kind of things where you uh, look at them and you say, hmm, I'll start. And because we're a defense company and because our owner likes the White Sox, I feel a slight obligation to do this one first. I'm going to start with a defense one. I'm going to start with the White Sox. And I think you'd say something like, okay. Julito's going to be good. Keuchel's going to be good. Grandal's going to be a good pickup. Tim Anderson's going to be good, good because he was good last year, so why not do it again? Eloy's a prospect. He can hit. Luis Robert, top prospect. He can hit. We can see all those things coming. You can even see Jose Abreu having a very good offensive year coming, maybe not quite to this caliber. However, I'm going to stop there. Jose Abreu leads first baseman at the time that we talk in defensive runs saved, and I was stunned by that. And I went and watched, I went and and looked through the best and worst of Jose Abreu this year, last year, just to get a a comparison and an idea of what's different. And there are a couple of things that I noticed. One is that he's playing further off the bag. And by playing uh, further off the bag, that allows him to get more stuff that's hit in that first base, second base hole. And I'm guessing, it's just kind of a hunch, that they must have realized that they were getting beat there a lot because in the past, his numbers had not been good uh, fielding those balls. He makes those plays now. Those are outs that were previously hits. The pitching staff looks better. Someone like Keiko looks better. And la da they're really good. And his MVP candidacy is, I think, solidified by this. What's, what's been your take on a Braves season so far, just from a big picture? Yeah, I mean, that's a great analysis of the defensive uh, part of it, for sure. I mean, he's just been a... Uh a guy I've really admired since he came into the league. I mean, he, he's just kind of a, a a quiet, steady presence in that lineup. Um, you know, he wants to be there. He, 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 he came back for another contract. Um, it's a comfortable place. Uh, he's kind of been a pillar for them as they've gone from trying to pretend to, you know, selling off their parts to now contending again. He's kind of been the guy that they've wanted to build around. And, and you don't see that all the time because, you, you know, a lot of times, like, teams, if they start trading some guys, they'll just trade everyone. Um, and his name certainly came up in a lot of rumors. But I never got the sense that the White Sox really wanted to trade him. He, you know, it's a mutually good relationship there. And um, so this year he's been, uh, he's been better than ever at age 33. And, and, you know, usually you don't see that. But in, in a short time span here, he continues to drive in runs and hit for power. And he's hitting for a better batting average than ever. So he's a serious MVP candidate. It's a benefit to a guy who's probably in that 32, 33, 34 range where they start to feel it when they play 130, 140 games, right? But to only have to play 60 this year, uh, he can go all out and still be just kind of like what what he's been in the past. How do you feel about the White Sox as a whole? Well, I, I, you know, I thought they'd be better. I, I didn't know they'd be this good. I think it was pretty clear they would be better. Um, they certainly made moves to that effect, but it was it was all going to be contingent on some of their young guys continuing to take those steps forward. And even though they didn't have anything from Michael Kopech, um, you know, certainly Elito has, has maintained that level, and Bunning has been great in five starts, and Cease has been 
quality and Keiko's been really good. So, you know, they're getting really good starting pitching, uh, even without, uh, you know, Ronaldo Lopez doing that great. That's what they needed because that offense, I think everybody knew was going to hit. I didn't know they'd, you know, they'd be so far ahead, you know, in the power department, but they are, uh, you know, they're, they're for real for sure. And um, I can't wait to see what they do in October. All right. Uh, that was my first one. What's your first one? I had the Giants being, you know, seventh in all of baseball and runs per game at, at 5.02. I, I didn't see that at all. I mean, I, I, I guess we all, or most of us anyway, underestimated the Giants and see them as a playoff team. And, and, and they're not a great team. I mean, they're at the moment, they're 23 and 24, but that might be good enough to get in. And, and to be scoring five runs a game with this offense is just really surprising to me. I was on a San Francisco radio station the, like the day before the season started, and I said, for the Giants to be a contending team, Yastrzemski has to be an MVP candidate. And then any one of the, the, the veteran guys, Belt, Crawford, has to match or better what they've done in the past. And Solano has to match what he did in his small sample last year, which he's done, surprisingly. Uh, that's right. another one. Uh, there was this whole long list, and then you didn't even get to the pitching, and the pitching has all sorts of problems. And of the like of the contenders for the seven and eight position in the National League, I feel like they're the easiest meal for the Dodgers or the Padres to take out. Uh, because if they were to get, if one of those teams was to get the Reds or one of those teams was to get the Mets in a three-game series with a potential knockout with two losses, and you face Castillo or DeGrom or, or whoever on the uh, on the Cincinnati's got a number of arms, Bauer certainly that that they're susceptible. So I feel like the Giants, like if we played 162, I feel like they'd probably be 75 and 87. Is, is that is that kind of where you would see them? Right. Yeah. And and a, and a team that wins 75 games in a, in a season can certainly have a stretch where they go 30 and 30. I mean that that's that probably happens all the time. So it it's not it's not really that crazy to think they could. 30 and 30 or, or something like that and make the playoffs. Um, but you're right. I mean, they don't have a single starting pitcher who has an ERA under five. Kapler's done a real nice job there. You got to give him credit, but he, he, he tends to pull these starters real, real quick in games. Um, I don't see them going far in the playoffs, but you know, I didn't see them getting in this far either. Um, you know, with all those things going right, like you mentioned Solano and, and, and Yastrzemski, you know, Alex Dickerson, I mean, Wilmer Flores has been terrific. You know, it's, it, Longoria is sort of, you know, his career Longoria, he's, he's, he's still useful, not what he was in Tampa, but still a useful player. Crawford, so, so they're, you know, and they are doing it without Posey too, you know, and it, and, and they, they let go of uh, the old guard Sandoval and, and Hunter Pencil on the way too. So, you know, they, they kind of tried to give it another run with some of the old faces. They didn't work. And uh, all these new giants are, you know, they're having a good season. I don't think they're for real, but um, it's certainly – uh, a nice little little season for a team that uh, wasn't expecting much. Will Mikey Strempsy be a good player beyond this year? I don't see why not. You know, he's uh, he's proven himself everywhere he's gone. I um, mean, at Vanderbilt, you know, my alma mater being the captain there. And, you know, certainly the Orioles never really gave him a shot, um, but he's made the most of it here. So I, I don't – I mean, he, he's a, he's old for a guy with his limited big league experience, but certainly, um, you know – is a leader type guy who, who's going to understand the right way to play the game at all times. And, um, you know, I think that's got to help him. 
All right, my next one kind of, I guess, parallels Yastrzemski on the AL side, and it has a lot of question marks written next to it, meaning that I'm supposed to read it incredulously. Teoscar Hernandez, AL MVP? Huh? Can you explain this one? I cannot. Um, <laughs> I mean, that, you know, I don't know where that came from exactly. I mean, he, he was, uh, you know, he's surprising a lot of people. I, I know he came from, uh, you know, he was one of those Houston guys. I guess it was with the trade. It was a Liriano trade, I think, um, at the deadline. And, and, you know, a lot of those Houston has found so many good players, and they're sort of, you know, scattered all around now as they you know, try to uh, try to win it all. You know, I, I don't know where it came from. I don't know much about him, to be honest. I know he, he was hurt lately, but the Blue Jays have been a great story. And, and to have that many home runs, uh, you know, along with other guys, uh, Rowdy Telez, and, and, and they've, they've had a lot of guys who've, who've come uh, – come up big this year maybe that we didn't expect and that's that's what you need when you're going to surprise surprise people so it's funny in a small sample things happen in one game and they completely change a stat when i did my prep for this show on tuesday night the blue jays pitchers were leading uh, the sport in pitching wins above replacement and then the yankees happened and they gave right. up 20 and now they're not first anymore. They've they slipped <laughs> a couple of spots. Is there anything about the Blue Jays pitching staff that you are particularly impressed with? Well, I know we're not supposed to get all hung up on wins, but it was so funny last year. I think their, their leader in wins had six, which yep. <laughs> wins are wins are interesting in, in the way they sometimes tell a story about how things go. And 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 it went really weird for the Blue Jays pitchers last year. Um, but this year, they you know they're getting a lot of consistent production out of uh, Jin Ryu. I mean, they pay a lot for him, but but he's given them a nice, a well above average start. Um, you know, every every five days, which is good. I love how aggressive they were in going out and picking up starters, uh, buy low guys like Robbie Ray and uh, and Tywin Walker at the uh, headline. You know, uh, so so that that was a good sign for me. They're getting a lot out of police in the in the bullpen. That's a good reclamation project. So, and the guy, you know, Anthony Kay from the Mets. He's already up, and, and you know he's making a contribution this year. Whereas Stroman, uh, you know, ended up pitching only 11 games for the Mets. So, you know, I I, I think they're they're interesting. I mean, Roark is what he is. You know, he's 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 going to give you innings, but they're not the most quality innings necessarily. It, it might be tough to see them go really far in in the playoffs. Um, but you know, Ryu is an upper level guy, and you know, maybe they can harness something uh, better out of Robbie Ray and get, get the good Robbie Ray and, um, you know, make some things happen because they sure can hit. We've talked about the White Sox, the Giants, and the Blue Jays. Uh, who's your next one? Well, I, you know, Tim Anderson, I mean, I, I, I love him as a player, as a guy. And, you know, after his breakout year last year, you knew that he was a good player, but I didn't really expect him to be even better. You know, I think he had he, he led the majors three thirty five last year, but he had a pretty high uh, BABIP, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was like four forty or something. So you know that usually means you know it's not sustainable. But guess what? He's in three seventy seven this year, leading the majors again. And you love to see that. You know, I I, I love that he's the kind of guy who can uh, actually you know get better as the years go on. He's a very smart guy, really eager to to learn and 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 put his talents to use and 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 work at it um, for everything I understand. So, you know, it, it's great to see how he's not just raised averages, he raises on base average, his slugging, everything. I ha- I need to dig into it more to see really who is the uh, most valuable White Sox because it might be the most valuable player in the league. But anyway, yeah, that 377 stands out to me because I thought 
you know, even the high BABIP at three thirty-five might be a ceiling and not not really a floor. Yep, he's he's uh, he seems to be someone who has figured out the sport, and we we often I think tend to bandwagon on players like a Pete Alonso who comes up and lights it up right away and is is unbelievable. And sometimes you have to be a little bit more patient, and you see it for Tim Anderson in years four uh, and year five, that just much, much, much better player uh, by that time. And I think, you know, if you're a first-round pick, you're a first-round pick generally for pretty good reasons, and I think uh, his standing there seems to be uh, pretty worthy. And just getting back to, like, the Ustremski point that you were talking about, about how he had been good wherever he had been. Tim Anderson, I think, was bound to be uh, a pretty good player. All right, my next one is, so I'm, I'm debating whether we can call this guy a surprise. So I've got two on the same team, and you can kind of judge whether he should be a surprise. Is Denelson Lamette a surprise? I don't think so. I, I think I was expecting him to be really good. Um, okay. Just because his, you know, the stuff that you've seen from him over the years when he's been healthy and out there has been, has been really quality. Um, I mean, last year, my God, you know, what did he have? A 12.9 strikeout per, per nine innings. And, yep. You know, he only made 14 starts, but you know, even, the, even the year that he was up in 17 before the surgery, he was striking out on the guys. Um, you know, a lot of guys have high strikeouts, I know, but his, his stuff just seems to, uh, you know, play really well consistently before and after the surgery. At that age, I think he's 27, you know, that's the kind of A28 now. That's when guys tend to hit their hit their prime. So he's he's going to be dangerous. No one's going to want to see him on the mound in, in October. Yeah, the Padres upped their home run hitting, but Denelson Lamette uh, reduced his home run giving. Uh, he's only allowed five in 59 and a third innings. I watched the Padre-Dodger game, him against Kershaw, and that's what I was thinking, that he could be – you could you could make a case right now that he's the best pitcher heading into the playoffs – you know, with Degrom not there and Bauer uh, potentially not there, that he's he's as good as it gets. I was very impressed with him throwing 97 a mile an hour faster than uh, he had uh, in previous seasons. And I, the thing that's amazing with with him too is that the slider he throws it so much. It's basically his two pitches. He's living yeah. like a closer, but he dominates uh, and dominates very impressively. All right, with with him disqualified, so my Padre guy then becomes Jake Cronenworth. And I think that, that that's warranted, uh, given that he was an older prospect. He was kind of like, I, I made an analogy looking at it yesterday to like a Jeff McNeil type, uh, and he's been uh, very impressive. What have your thoughts been on him and, and in the context of the Padres this season? Yeah, that's a really great under-the-radar pickup for them, you know, in the offseason. You generally think nothing against uh, Padres, but you usually think when Tampa Bay makes a trade, they're always going to get the best of it because they're just, they always seem to find guys like Jake Cronenworth. And in this case, they lost a guy like Jake Cronenworth. They gave him up. You know, you know, we'll have to see, you know, how that trade worked out for Tampa Bay. You know, getting, uh, who was Xavier Hunter Renfro, yep. Edwards and Hunter Renfro. Yeah, you know, Tampa Bay always, always has a, a plan. But, you know, San Diego goes um, pretty wisely with him, too. I remember Cronenworth, you know, he was a, a closer at Michigan and, and then the Rays, you experimented with him pitching a little bit in the minors. And I just, I love that idea, the concept of a two-way player, but in practice, it really hasn't been working these last couple of years with, with guys like you know, Hunter Green and, and, and uh, Brandon McKay and Otani and Cronenworth. There might be a reason why Babe Ruth was an outlier. Um, <laughs> you know, you should maybe just uh, focus on getting the best out of these guys uh, one way 
rather than having a watered down or injured version of them. So anyway, I, I think, yeah, Cronenworth's been terrific. Glad to see him, uh, you know, in a spot where he can contribute and, and, you know, not have to worry about uh, pitching as well. I and mean, playing a lot of positions. Too. I like that quote. I think we will be using that quote as the quote of the episode. All right. So Padres, I went with uh, Jake Cronenworth as, as one surprise. Uh, who's your next one on your list? Well, it's not so much a surprise to me that, yeah, I guess I'll group the, both these guys, that Freddie Freeman and, and Shane Bieber are doing great. But it's a surprise to me that Shane Bieber is this much better than everybody else. You know, he had 102 strikeouts. The next closest guy is 83. In a, in a small season, that's a lot. I mean, to be 19 strikeouts ahead of the next closest guy, it's just pure dominance. And I know he's AL Central and all that, you know, and there's some weak lineups. But, man, he, you know, when you watch Shane Bieber pitch, he's just, uh, you know, looks like he does never, almost never misses a spot. He's locked in. His stuff is – all of his pitches are tremendous. So, again, not surprised that he's great. He was the all-star MVP last year with a strike on the side in Cleveland. But to be this much better, I think it's surprising. And the same thing with Freddie Freeman. He's been a star for a lot of years. But given, you know, his, his uh, very public and very – difficult uh, COVID struggle there this summer or this spring, whatever, you know, for him to be this much better than everybody else. I mean, he's got 11 more. He's been on base 99 times, 11 more times than the next closest guy. That's Ozuna and Conforto. So, you know, for Freeman, be, again, 11 times more on base than someone else. That's a lot to me, uh, especially in a short season. So not that they're good, but that they're that much better in those categories, Freeman and Bieber. We make fun of, um, who was the guy, Chris Davis, who hit 247, 247, 247, like ad infinitum. Freddie Freeman's the same kind of guy at, at, at his level, uh, although his numbers, as you said, this year are off the charts. He's 300, he's 380 to 390 on base, he's 550 slugging. The, the guy's the same guy like every single year. Nothing phases him, nothing ever uh, messes him up. You're right, and it's... it's uh, you, I, I imagine you've talked to him in the past. He seems like yeah. a, a good person, too. Is, is there something to his background that, that's worth sharing with us? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's always the impression I've gotten. That he's just a, a very, um, you know, good-natured guy, from what I can tell. You know, just a family guy. You know, he, he likes Atlanta. He goes out and does his job. You know, he doesn't like a lot of fanfare, but he's very polite. And, and you know, he'll talk to you. I, you know, I, I, I've always liked him. I've always been impressed. I think I, I, I did see his first career home run back in 2010 at Citizens Bank Park off Roy Halladay when Halladay was at his absolute peak, you know, down the stretch in 2010. And here's this kid, you know, this prospect, who just rocketed one out in the bullpen, as I recall, in Philly. Uh, yeah, there it is, September 21st, uh, 2010. <laughs> you know, I've, I've had so many stories where people tell me things and, and then you go check on baseball reference. It wasn't true at all, but that was true. I was right with that. Um, <laughs> no, I've always liked him, admire his consistency. And yes, off the field, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a good guy. And, and I'd love to see someone like him um, you know, get an MVP. I mean, you know, th- th- there are certain careers where a, a guy just is really, really steady, but might have one year where he, he goes nuts, and, and that sort of uh, gets to stay that, you know, gets to wear that MVP, you know, feather in his hat kind of thing for uh, forever. It's the kind of thing that could be in his in, in a guy's Hall of Fame plaque when uh, when he's all said and done. So I, I like I like when true greatness can be recognized, even if it's just in one year. Jones won one MVP, Griffey won one MVP, you know, those kind of things. And even if he only won one, that's always going to be reflected in your, uh, on your ledger. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like he doesn't have that signature thing right. signature. just yet. Like the signature thing for him is the hugging stuff. 
Yeah, I was down there once, and they were giving out Freddie Hugs bobbleheads. So I have a yep. Freddie Hugs bobbleheads in my son's room. Right. He also Johnny has, Gomes, which is really funny. Johnny Gomes is only there for five minutes, but he got a bobblehead. Yeah. He he also has my favorite player Twitter tweet with family member thing, where it's him and his kid taking BP at their home, and the kid runs out, and the kid can't be more than like three or four with his bat and swings and has a swing just like Freddie Freeman's. And it's like, yes, and oh he, man, twenty years from now. And didn't he do something where he was, um, him and his family, or maybe this was Wayne Wright, I think it was Freeman, where they all dress up as, as Willy Wonka characters, put it on their Instagram or whatever. It was hilarious. It was, uh, I'm a big Willy Wonka fan. I think they, they all went Willy Wonka for, for uh, Halloween ones, which was, which was uh, very cool. It was. There we go. It was a, it was a Willy Wonka-themed birthday party uh, birthday in party. 2017. Yeah, man, that's when you're when you're a ball player and you have the means, uh, you can go all out for stuff like that. That's uh, um, okay. Yeah, the picture that's pretty sweet. That's pretty nice, nicely done. Babe Ruth, Willy Wonka, and who's next on our uh, list here? All right, so you've got three. You you said the Giants' offense: Tim Anderson, Free Freeman, and Shane Bieber. I've brought up Jose Abreu, Teoscar Te- Hernandez, and Jake Cronenworth. Where am I going to go next? I'm going to go negative Nancy next. I've got three guys. Maybe you know what, what the issue is with them this year. I was thinking maybe karma for one, but I, I don't know what's going on with these three guys. Jose Altuve, 224, 284, 322. Victor Robles, 230, 301, 309. And J.D. Martinez, 201, 286, 354. Do you have any idea what's going on with any of those three players that, that explains their poor 45-ish game starts this year? Well, I mean, I... I... I know J.D. Martinez has talked about the lack of video and, you know, video being a, uh, uh, a tool that really, really helped him and that he relied on um, as he became a star. And, and he's been, you know, pretty open uh, about how difficult that transition's been without it. And, he's, you know, come under a lot of criticism in Boston for that. But, you know, I, I appreciate when guys at least, uh, you know, honest about, about things. I look at it as, as an explanation, not so much as an excuse. Um, but, you know, people can see it differently, but um, if that's the case, uh, you know, I mean, uh, it's credit to J.D. Martinez for studying his swing and knowing it so well, but I guess, you know, now it, it, it seems like it, maybe it was a crutch for him, um, and he's got to figure it out uh, without the video, and, and it's been tougher for him. I, I know one thing, he's probably not going to opt out <laughs> after, <laughs> after a season like this with a yep. uh, uncertain economic landscape. He's probably going to stay right there in Boston and uh, get, get that paycheck that he wasn't seem too happy about when he signed it. Now he's going to, you know, resist two straight opt-outs um, because maybe not as bad a deal as uh, as he thought. Maybe it was pretty fair um, for all both sides. So, um, you know, the other side have to dig in a little bit more on Robles and, and uh, Altuve. But uh, I, I know KD has spoken about that and, and gotten some heat from it. Uh, Altuve has, uh, has upped his chasing of pitches this season considerably. Highest rate of either, I believe it's either the highest rate of his career or it's highest rate in like five years. So uh, he's gotten away from his game a little bit. So those two guys, uh, those three guys are down. Uh, so those are my three uh, kind of surprises from negative hitting standpoint. All right. Who you got for, uh, for your next one? Well, I had from a negative pitching standpoint, again, I mean, I, I you know, Max Scherzer last year, you know, was, was, was usual Max Scherzer. I mean, he gave up seven and a half hits per nine. Now he's given up nine and a half hits per nine. He's among the league leaders in, in, in hits allowed 59 of them. Uh, right now, it's, it's only four behind the leader in hits allowed. And, you know, he's a guy you watch and pitch. And, and, yes, he challenges guys and sometimes will throw fastballs on his own and, and, and they can be hit a long way. But he, he has so many pitches and he's so 
just an artist out there. He's a, he's a, he's a part, you know, a power pitcher, but also a, a crafty power pitcher um, because he can throw so many things at you. And he looks like he'd be really, really difficult to hit. I mean, he's got a couple no hitters and the 20 strikeout came on, but he's, you know, he's, he's become very hittable much more so than, than he has. I think his last time he had this many hits per nine was in 2011 back before he really hit stardom with Detroit. So I don't know exactly what's going on there. You know, certainly he shouldered a big load last year in October, but then again, this, this season started so late. I don't know how much that would be a factor. Matt's um, defense is cratered a bit too. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that, that could certainly be a part of it. And, you know, an age too. I mean, He's a Hall of Famer. He doesn't have yep. anything else to prove, but he's 36, and you know that's uh, you know you can't pitch at, at such a high level forever. I'm looking forward to him getting milestones. He's what is he? 229 strikeouts away from 3,000, 26 wins away from 200. I mean, I'd like to see him hit some of those uh, benchmark. He's got one more year left in the Nats contract. He seems like you know the ultimate competitor, a kind of guy you'd have to rip the jersey off for. But you know, but who knows? So. I've I've loved watching his his greatness uh, year after year, but maybe he's settling into a, a different you know stage of his career. But then again, you know his 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 strikeouts are strikeouts per nine they're still are pretty good. Yeah, they're they are in line with everything he's done before. But hits are up. Maybe it's defense related, as you said, and the, and the walks are up too. All right, so one left uh, for each of us here as we talk surprises for the 2020 season. Turn it into a, a discussion. Uh, I'm with you on Max. I, I hope he's still got uh, something left in the tank. I, I'm, I suspect that he at least has a little bit left. Uh, yeah, all right. He's, so, he's, he, you know, the guys who are truly great, you know, the all-time great, play, and he is one. You know, you, you can never really put much past them. They are still human. Everybody finds an expiration date. But I, I always hold out hope that a guy like a, a Scherzer or a Kershaw can, you know, can figure something out. CC, you know, toward the end, like how he got better when he seemed like he was going down. Like that. The really great ones, I still believe that the really great ones can uh, do really great things. All right. And the last, so the last one for these, uh, I'm gonna, it's two numbers, and I'm going to go back to defense because I just think that they're, it's something that I completely would not have expected in any way this season. It's a total surprise. One is that Clint Frazier has five defensive runs saved in right field this season and looks pretty good for the Yankees. The other is that Mike Trout, is last in the majors in defensive run save this season, and quite frankly, looks pretty bad uh, in center field. I had no inkling that either of those were coming. They're both interesting to watch because you didn't suspect them, and I just find them both fascinating. I don't know that they would hold up over 162 games, but I, I thought that they were interesting numbers to observe, sir. Yeah, I've never understood, you know, why why a trout, you know, the defensive metrics aren't aren't better for him. I, you know, I haven't seen a ton of angel games this year to, to tell with my eyes if he slipped um, that much in the field. I never thought that, you know, that, uh, that Frazier would always be a, a butcher in the outfield. He's, he's, you know, he's a young guy. He's very athletic, hard worker. I always figured he'd, he'd probably figure it out. I'm just glad that he's getting regular playing time and showing what he can do. Cause it felt like such a waste to have a, a guy who I always felt was an everyday big league caliber guy down in the minor leagues for so long. I felt like it was almost cruel that they didn't <laughs> trade him or give him a shot. And now he's getting a shot, and, and not only people are going to take it, anybody's going to take it away from him. So I'm happy for him. Yeah, he's looked very good uh, going to the ball. It's funny how this 
would have been a different kind of episode if we had taped it a week ago because the Yankee record was uh, not as good. It's better now. Everything seems to be hunky-dory in Yankee land. Uh, Mike Trout has said publicly that he's had uh, some issues this season with his getting jumps, uh, which is uh, something that you can pick off on uh, StatCast, but certainly a surprising thing, not something that that you would necessarily pick up, up on too easily. All right, so your last one. I think our last memory of Trent Grisham on the Brewers was making that big error yep. in the uh, in the wildcard game to bring in the winning run um, in Washington. And, and this year, I don't know nearly as much about defense as you do, but he, he's, he's the number two overall defender on Fangraph. You tell me, what is Trent Grisham doing better? And is that one extremely small sample size uh, – mischaracterization of his defensive ability. Yeah, I, I felt like, I, it's funny, when he got traded, uh, I was like, this is interesting because this is a guy that if he had stayed in Milwaukee, he would have ha- kind of had to have lived down, like this is a mean way to put it, but like lived down the shame of it because that, that play ended the season for the Brewers. Now he gets a fresh start with what is a really good team and a team that's kind of on the up, whereas the Brewers are kind of on the steady or on the down. And he's been good at the plate. We certainly saw he's not lacking for confidence at the plate, hitting the home run and uh, enjoying it, I guess, so to speak, against the Dodgers. His range numbers are good uh, for us across the board. He still he has made a decent number of mistakes this year, but the catches that he's made, particularly, it looks like, in the deepest parts of the outfield and his throws uh, have contributed to a good uh, defensive run save total, at least on our end, uh, in center field for San Diego. So that's a case, certainly, where one play could have, like, because of the, it's funny, I wish that there was, there are times where I wish that you could put, like, extra value on really important plays, like that one. But if you do that, it completely takes away from what the guy actually is sometimes. Or it, it, a guy like Lourdes Guriel had this incredible series against the Mets. Uh, three games, made diving catch after diving catch. He's not that good. Like, born out over 100 games, 162 games or whatever, he doesn't put up those kind of numbers. Trent Grisham, a nice overcoming of a moment, I think is kind of the, I think what's, that's what you're getting at, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, another smart pickup for the Padres. I mean, that deal, you know, that's not overload Zach Davies either. I mean, he is... He's a fun guy to watch. He doesn't look like he should be a, a major league pitcher, you know, but he's so crafty and smart. He reminds me of Kyle, uh, Kyle Hendricks out there. He's got seven wins, a, a low ERA there for the for the Padres, and it never seemed like the Brewers quite knew what to do with him. He, he, he you know, he, he pitched for them for a while and got a lot of wins and everything, but he never was much of a factor in the postseason for them. So, you know, get him. And, and Grisham from the Brewers um, was another really good, low-key move by uh, A.J. Preller that's paying off. Could be the uh, executive of the, year, of the year in baseball this year. All right, so we have our 10. Uh, we have 10 big surprises in baseball in the uh, shortened season. Jose Abreu, the Giants offense, Teoscar Hernandez, Tim Anderson, Jake Cronenworth, Freddie Freeman, and Shane Beamer, and then their dominance. Uh, Jose Altuve, uh, Victor Robles, and J.D. Martinez. Max Scherzer's uh, drop-off. Clint Frazier, Mike Trout, defensive contrast, and then Trent Grisham and Zach Davies, uh, both uh, coming over in trades to the Padres. I guess what's our honorable mention here, like the Marlins? Yeah, I mean, if we want to go like, uh, you know, big picture, uh, you know, not so much a stat, but just uh, the one loss record, the one stat that counts most, I, I, I guess the Marlins, um, you know, being 24 and 22, again, it wouldn't be a shock that they might have a 24 and 22 stretch somewhere um, along the way. 
but I expect the San Diego to be a lot better than they have been. A week ago, I might have said the Orioles, but they've, they've fallen back to earth a little bit. If I had known the Astros would have all these injuries, I wouldn't be shocked that they'd be limping um, the way they are. So, you know, the White Sox, you knew they'd be better, maybe not quite as good. But overall, yeah, I'd say the Marlins. You know, to, to think that the Marlins will be the guaranteed playoff spot as the number two team in that division as they stand right now, that's a surprise. That and the Reds not not being one of the playoff teams at the moment. Cause I, and I think they will be before it's all over. But they, you know, it's taken them a long time to – round into shape if they truly are they're, they're i thought they'd be a lot better than they've been i would agree uh, and uh, that that gives us well i guess that gives us an even dozen surprises uh and those can certainly change plenty of baseball still to be played and plenty of postseason still to be played uh, and potentially not just this year but in future years as well all right tyler kempner uh thank you for joining us all right thanks mark SISBets.com is back for 2020, and if you didn't make use of it last year, you missed out on easy money. SISBets.com is an advanced prop betting information tool powered by Sports Info Solutions. With it, you can leverage the power of our proven projections models to find value against the odds. You're never more than a few clicks away from knowing whether your favorite wide receiver is likely to score a touchdown this week or whether a quarterback that you have your eye on is likely to go over or under his completions prop. Just choose the bet type, the player, and the money line to see the SIS Bets recommendation. SISBets.com is available for just $9.99 per month, so it easily pays for itself, and that price covers both football and baseball. That means you can also take advantage of our most popular bet type, home run projections, which our users rode to a very solid 12% ROI in 2019. The best news is that if you act now, you can access SISBets.com for free for week one of the NFL season. So log on to SISBets.com, create your free account, win on your prop bets this Sunday, and then use your winnings to keep your account active so that you can continue to win. For your free trial account, sign up at SISBets.com. I've been doing a lot of baseball writing at our blog, sportsinfosolutionsblog.com, recently. Some topics include some players who have had nice defensive seasons. We've mentioned Trent Grisham and Jake Cronenworth during the discussion with Tyler Kepner. Also some catchers, Yasmani Grandal and James McCann of the White Sox and Sean Murphy of the A's. We've touched on Jackie Bradley Jr., who typically is perceived very highly by fans, but doesn't necessarily do as well in defensive run save. This year he has been. Also good numbers for Rangers third baseman Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, both at third base and shortstop. And Cesar Hernandez, much improved from the Indians. Plus some good defensive positioning by the Mariners and all-around good D by the Cardinals. You can find all that at sportsinfosolutionsblog.com. Be sure to check out the Off the Charts football podcast. Matt and Aaron review week one and preview week two in the NFL. This wraps up the SIS baseball podcast. Be sure to rate and review us if you can. For Tyler Kepner and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Stay safe, stay well, and thank you for tuning in. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.